Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Um, well, if you're new to Chi Alpha, if this is your first time here, uh, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. Tonight, we are continuing our series through the book of Genesis that we've been calling Not Just the Beginning. If you grew up in church, the, be- the book of Genesis holds the stories that maybe you're most familiar with, stories from Sunday school. Um, but what we're hoping to do with this series is to kind of peel back some of the layers of familiarity so that we can see that the stories in this book are not just the beginning of our faith, but have something real to teach us today. So... Before we dive into our text for tonight, a little bit about me. Um, I have a picture of my family to show. Yes, there there we are. Um, So that is my wife, Kristen, and I. Uh, We met in Chi Alpha in 2016. Um, Actually became friends, kind of, at Sikkim. So there's that. And then there is our dog, Eleanor. She is a very sweet two-year-old corgi. She comes by the hub. Most Monday mornings around 10 or 11, depending on when Kristen takes her for a walk. So if you need some dog therapy in your life or just want to meet her, come by the hub. So that's me. As we begin tonight, I have a question. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you have a dream for your life? Come on. Yeah, that's an easy one. You guys are mostly UVA students. I know some of you come in with like five-year or ten-year plans as first years. Um, Fun fact, Kristen, one of her life dreams was to own a corgi, and so we're nine and a half half months into marriage, and we're just just living the dream. Um, For some of you, this dream that you have for your life maybe came from a family member or a friend speaking a word of encouragement to you. Um, maybe that's how you chose your major. Maybe the dream you have for your life is, is some career aspiration or to work for the good of the world, to see justice brought where there isn't, or to care for the poor or the marginalized in our community. Um, maybe your dream is less about your career and it's more about family. Maybe you want to be a godly father or a godly mother. Um, or maybe your dream is about how to use your money. You want to be someone who is generous and gives to God's work in the world, gives generously to missions, as we've talked about already. Or maybe even as recently as spring break, you felt the Lord tugging on your heart, giving you a call to the nations or to serve him in some other way. Novelist and theologian Frederick Buchner puts it this way, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's good, right? I was reading two different books this week, and both of them quoted this, and so I was like, that that has to be a reason for this to go in the sermon. Um, Yeah, that's random. I still remember when I was a first year at Sikkim where I felt for the first time that the Lord had something for me. He was speaking to me in a way that just showed me that there was a deep gladness, a joy in serving him. During that week at Sikkim, just getting to watch staff work and serve students and just have a great joy about it, that was deeply impactful for me. It was the first seeds of the Lord's call into ministry. It was the beginning of a long arc over the course of my life. 
whatever the dream that is planted deep within your heart, I believe that part of that is probably from the Spirit of the Lord. I think that's a pretty safe bet. The point is, for most of us, we have a vision for the way that we want our lives to go. There is something within each of us, a passion that just grips you for how you want to live your life. And the beauty of this is that without it, we would be so aimless. We would be driven to whatever is most urgent or what gives us the most pleasure. But the beauty of Jesus' invitation for our lives is that he gives us passions. He gives us a vision, a calling to direct us on this journey of discipleship. And as Pete talked about a couple weeks ago, to work for the flourishing of people, culture, and creation. So tonight, we are going to take a look at the life of Abraham and see how this can be paradigmatic for us as we learn how to walk with God. So my hope is that we're going to be able to answer two questions for us by the end of the night. The first is, how do we live with the dreams for our lives surrendered to God? And the second is, when you have a vision from God for your life, how do you steward that well? So first, how do we live with the dreams for our lives surrendered to God? We're going to be jumping ahead a bit in the book of Genesis, and I'll be, um, as I said, we're going to be taking a look at the beginning of the life of Abraham and I say beginning, but we're actually jumping in where he was 75 years old, and his name wasn't Abraham, it was Abram. And Abram will live another 100 years before he dies. And so at the ripe young age of 75, God speaks to him and gives him a calling for his life. So I mean, if you're 20-something in here and don't have a calling for your life yet, Abram was 75, that's all I'm saying. So last week, Sarah talked to us about the fall, and we're going to be jumping ahead to Genesis chapter 11 here in a moment. But what Sarah shared last week is about how Adam and Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and chose for themselves what was good in their own sight. And that just wasn't one act of rebellion. It set in motion a cycle of human rebellion and wickedness that just got put on repeat for generations and generations. We read about brothers murdering each other. We read about wicked, evil warrior kings coming to power and God having to send judgment in the flood. And it all culminates in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. See, humanity comes together and builds a city that is later renamed Babylon. And at this city, they build a tower to reach into the heavens, essentially saying to God, you have exiled us from the garden. And so we are going to re-enter your space on our own terms and usurp authority for ourselves. The author of Genesis powerfully summarizes the posture of the human heart in verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Humanity comes together to try to make a name for themselves. Where God once commissioned humanity as his images, his partners on earth, they are now trying again and again to usurp authority from God where God called humanity to be fruitful and multiply, it is now human evil that is multiplied on the earth. Where God called humanity to rule over the earth and to subdue it, they are now being ruled 
and animated by sin and spiritual evil in the world. Things have gotten worse. And it's all summarized in this one phrase that humanity is making a name for themselves. This posture in the human heart of I'm going to make a name for myself. So this is the context into which Abram enters the story. Things have gotten worse and God sends judgment at Babel. He scatters the people and confuses their language. And so we're going to pick up our reading with everybody's favorite part of the Bible, a genealogy. So uh, picking up in verse 27, it says, This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was unable to conceive. Let's pause for a moment. Chapter 11 concludes with this genealogy telling us about Abram's family line, but it makes a special point to tell us that Sarai was barren. Abram and his wife were childless. The irony here is that Abram's name in Hebrew means exalted father. And so you can kind of picture this scene, Terah holding his son for the first time, looking at his child and just proclaiming the dreams that he has for his son over him. You will be called Abram because you will be a great father. And you will be the one to carry our family name forward for generations. And so you start to feel it. This tension picking up in verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out for, from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. End of the genealogy. So maybe you can feel the pain of being barren here. Many of you know where this story is going, but I really want us to enter into this tension because children were everything in that culture. To have a child meant that you had someone to pass on an inheritance to. It meant that you had someone to take care of you in your old age. And so this is not just one minor dilemma in Abram's life. This is the hinge point, the central conflict on which his entire relationship with God will turn. And so let's enter into this. Put a pin in that. Keep it in mind as we read on. Picking up in chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Maybe you're starting to already see it. But the author of Genesis is beautifully putting side by side these two pictures. The story of the Tower of Babel with the introduction of Abram. On the one hand, you have wicked, rebellious humanity who has come and is trying to make a name for themselves. And here you have 75-year-old, childless, exalted father Abram living in his father's household. And God promises to make his name great. 
So the question is, what kind of person will Abram be? Will he live like the rest of rebellious, wicked humanity and push this cycle of rebellion one generation forward, or will he break it? Will he live differently and trust that God will make his name great? And you may be thinking that this idea of making a name for yourself or, or trying to make, uh, build your own reputation is not that foreign to our culture. And that's because the innate bends within the human heart haven't changed that much over millennia, to be frank. I was reading, um, well, we may just not call it making a name for ourselves. We may just say we're building our personal brand or growing our Instagram following or becoming an influencer. Uh, I was reading a a CBS News article last week that said that 54% of young people want to be influencers. It's wild. Uh, And being a, quote, social media star is now ranked as the fourth most popular career, career aspiration for kids. It's pretty wild. Um, I've been reading this book called The Road to Character by David Brooks, and in it he quotes a study where they asked people in 1976 what their life goals were, what their aspirations were. And the ambition, the aspiration to be famous was listed 15th out of 16 different life goals. Same survey conducted in 2007. 54%, no, 51% of young people listed it as one of their top life goals to be famous. We live in a world that is inundated with this ideology of making a name for ourselves, of putting ourselves at the center of reality. And, you know, it kind of makes sense. We want to live significant lives. It's another quote from Brooks. As I looked around the popular culture, I kept finding the same messages everywhere. You're special. Trust yourself. Be true to yourself. Movies from Pixar and Disney are constantly telling children how wonderful they are. Commencement speeches are larded with the same cliches. Follow your passions. Don't accept your limits. Chart your own course. You have a responsibility to do great things because you are so great. This is the gospel of self-trust. Let's be honest. We live in a world that will tell you you are the center of the universe. You are self-made, self-governed, and self-determining. You live your truth, and as long as you're not actively inflicting pain on somebody else, just you do you. We live in a culture where the default operating system is not to have God at the center, but to have ourselves at the center. But does life work when you are at the seat of authority and ambition over your life? Have any of you felt that exhausting weight when you try to live as the God of your own universe, God of your own life? So how do we live this out? Back to our first question. How do we live with our dreams surrendered to God? It's a simple reality, but profoundly difficult to live out but it means dethroning ourselves from the center of reality, from being the seat of authority in our lives. I think of what Jesus said to his followers in Luke 9, 23. He said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily 
and follow me. The Christian life is a life characterized by self-denial. It's not project self, as our culture will tell you. Jesus calls all of us to take ourselves off of the throne and to surrender every ambition that we have under his lordship. But what does this look like practically? What are the areas of our lives where we refuse to relinquish control? If you can find an area that you're struggling to give it over to God, that is where he needs to be put back on the throne. In Abram's life, the Lord asked him to leave his land, his family, and the security of his father's household. That meant in order to obey God, he needed to surrender. He needed to deny himself and follow God. So let's break this down a little bit. First, Abram had to die to the desire of living where he wanted to live. As much as Abram maybe would have wanted God to bless him in Haran, he doesn't. God calls him to leave his father's land, to leave his home. The land that Abram was going to go to, we don't know whether it was going to be occupied. This is a mystery. He maybe would encounter nations that wouldn't see him in a nice light. He would maybe not even be able to find adequate pasture for his animals. And if one of these things goes wrong, Abram is forgotten. He dies alone in the wilderness and the world moves on. Second, Abram had to die to the desire of living near his family. Abram was called to leave the people he knew and loved and go live as a nomad among strangers in a foreign land. His father was 145 years old when he left. He didn't know if he was going to ever see him again. He didn't know how much time his dad had left. We don't even know if his dad was supportive or not. We don't know if he, if he got the same word from the Lord to hear uh, God's voice as Abram did, but we know that Abram was called to leave, and obedience would mean denying himself the desire to stay near his family. And finally, he had to die to the desire of having security. Abram had to be obedient to God's direction. That meant leaving his, uh, his inheritance behind. It meant leaving behind any political or familial allegiances his father would have arranged that would have kept their family safe. It, it would mean not taking up the family business. Abram's net worth just plummeted by being obedient to God. And all three of these are significant. And if Abram was trying to make a name for himself, if he was trying to live as master of his own death, destiny, the, the answer is to stay where you are, dude. There is nothing there is no good prospect in leaving. You have a good thing going. Yet God promises that if Abram is obedient, there is blessing on blessing on blessing on the other side of this obedience. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And as far as callings go, I mean, I would want that. Like, that sounds pretty great. It's a pretty sweet deal. But everything Abram was called to give up is significant. But in view of God's promises, like obedience, that's, that's the proper response. On the one hand, Abram is giving up his personal security. He's giving up a lot. But on the other, he gets to walk into a life of eternal significance. So the question is for us, 
What do you do when God's promises for the future don't really make sense in the present? What do you do when God maybe establishes a nice direction for you and gives you the promise, that gives you the calling, but you know it's not going to materialize for a while? Put another way, what do you do when God's promises for your future are going to cost you something in your present? What does Abram do when faced with the biggest sacrifice of his life on the one hand and the greatest blessing he could ever be offered on the other? Picking up in verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and, when they arrived, and then they arrived there. Abram went. And that response is, is paradigmatic for us as we surrender, as we think about what it means for us to surrender our visions for our lives under the lordship of Jesus. Abram went. We don't know how he was guided to the land. We don't know how much of the picture God exactly showed him. Uh, If it were me, I would want to know the GPS coordinates. I'd want to get my mail forwarded first. I'd want to make sure that my cell phone would have service when we got there. But Abram, he doesn't put up a fight with God. He just goes. He knows what the Lord has called him to do. And so he is obedient. He packs up and just leaves. The beautiful thing about Abram's journey is that we get a picture of what it means to walk by faith when you don't have the whole picture. He was not given the the pamphlet, the five-year plan to becoming a great nation. He was just given the next step of obedience, and he took it. I think many of us, when we think about God's calling on our lives, we want to know the end from the beginning. We don't want to just know where God is taking us. We want to know each step along the journey of how we're going to get there. And as much as I wish it were different, oftentimes God leads us one step of obedience at a time. And the call on your life is to just take the next step of obedience. God knows how much of the picture we need to be able to take a step, but also still trust him. And when God shows us more of the picture, it honestly probably indicates a lack of faith more than an abundance of faith because God knows that we need more to be able to take one step. God knows that if he calls Abram and gives him the direction he's going to go, his promises to make Abram into a great nation uh, could never happen on his own. He has no land, no army, no offspring. God's promise to make Abram's name great could not be fulfilled without a child. So the reality of Abram being able to provide for himself any of these promises, it's just not possible. It's never been clearer. And so if this is going to happen, he needs great faith and and a great God, and he needs to take the next step of obedience. See, what was on the table for Abram was not just his life of significance. God offered him something great for himself, but what was on the table was to leave a wake of blessing for generations and generations to come. See, this is the hinge point on which God's redemptive story is being written because it's all about being a blessing to all nations. By Abram stepping into what God was calling him to, 
He entered into God's plan for redemption of the whole world. Abram's obedience would not just be God's response to what happened at Babel, but it would be God's response to what happened at the fall. Because of Abram's step of obedience, Abram would one day no longer be barren. He would have a son named Isaac, and from Isaac would come generations and generations later, Jesus the Messiah. This one act of obedience pushes forward the story of redemption that God is writing in the world through to Jesus' climactic redemption on the cross and then to us today. It is because of Abram's obedience that God invites us in to be a part of his mission in the world. See, Jesus pulls on this same thread of being a blessing to all nations when he's speaking to his followers and giving them the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. This is the invitation of Jesus that we get to be a part of making disciples of all nations and working for his redemption in the world. This story is not just the beginning of our faith. It is the hinge point on which all of redemptive history turns, and it is an invitation for us to embrace God's gloriously common call for all believers to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and be a blessing to all nations. The beauty of the Christian life is that though we are all so different, we get to share in one gloriously common calling to make disciples of Jesus. And so if you're here tonight and never thought that your life could have eternal significance, this is a word for you. Jesus is inviting all of us into a life of eternal significance to take a step of obedience into this gloriously common call. So, question for you is, what is the step of obedience that Jesus is inviting you to take? For some of you, stepping out uh, and embracing this gloriously common call may cost you some of the things that it cost Abram. I've watched people in my life turn down promotions because it would involve more traveling and it would keep them from being able to be present in their churches and making disciples in their communities. I've watched students turn down a cappella groups and unpaid internships and there's something else I wrote down. Extracurriculars. So many things laid down at the altar because Jesus is worth it. Because all of these things, they're not bad, but what they would do to your time, they said Jesus is worth more. So the question is, what is the step of obedience that Jesus is inviting you to take tonight. To move on to our second question, how do you steward the vision or the calling that God has given you for your life? I think we can all agree that it's a lot easier to live this out when the revelation is fresh. You know, we, we all would agree that it's way easier to follow Jesus at fall retreat or on a spring break trip, right? Like, we agree on that. Why? Because well, not only are you tuned into what God is doing, but it's a lot easier to follow Jesus when the hard realities of life are pushed away. I mentioned earlier that uh, I first sensed my call into ministry at Sikkim or started the, the first seeds got planted at Sikkim, and that was real and powerful, and God spoke to me in a real powerful way. But also I had a really hard summer right after that, and so I didn't think about it for months. 
God had his way. And over time, the Lord reminded me of the things that he had done at Sikkim. But the reality is it gets hard to stay faithful when life's difficulties and trials come our way. When we look at Abram's life, it's understandable to think that he would go. He heard the audible voice of God. And so if any of you heard the audible voice of God, I have full faith that you would go too. Like, I believe that we would be obedient if we got that kind of revelation. But how does Abram maintain faith in the midst of difficulties? Because Abram's life gets really, really tough. He's faced with famine in the same chapter. He's faced with continued battles with barrenness. His uh, nephew Lot gets kidnapped. There are wars with surrounding nations. There are a lot of hard things that go on in Abram's life. And so how does he maintain faith in the midst of these difficulties? Is there a practice from Abram's life that models for us what it means to walk faithfully with God and to steward the callings that he's placed on our lives, even when life gets hard? Yes. Uh, So picking up our reading in verse 6. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills of Bethel uh, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. The Lord calls Abram from his homeland. And as he walks the land, the Lord has promised to give him. He stops He meets with God and he builds an altar. In the Old Testament, an altar served two purposes, worship and remembrance. The altar was the site where animals were sacrificed and as they ascended and burned on the altar into God's presence, it was an act of dedication and surrender to Jesus, to God. But also remembrance. Every altar that was built served as a monument to the promise of God, the words that God had spoken to someone. And so we see that Abram, throughout his life, cultivated this practice of building altars. So I want us to have a visual for this. Um, Pete loves to say that one of his favorite parts of the Bible are the maps. Uh, My Bible is really skinny and doesn't have any maps, but I found this online. Uh, So here is a visual of Abram's journey through the land of Canaan. And you can see there are three stars marked there. Those are places where Abram stops and builds an altar. There's uh, two from the passage we just read and one that comes a few chapters later. And if you continue reading the book of Genesis and into the later parts of the Torah, you start to hear about the tribes of Israel and how they come to possess the land of Canaan. And what you can see is that what was once a distant, far-off promise of God has now come to pass that the tribes of Israel in the books of Deuteronomy and Joshua come to possession of this land and where Abram was worshiping his God, proclaiming the greatness of the God of the promise, God one day comes through generations later. I thought that was really cool. Um, Abram believes God's promise and so he stops and builds an altar. And we see that Abram throughout his journey goes back to these altars many, many times. After times of failure and falling short, he goes back to the altar where he met with God and reminds himself of these promises. One momentary call in his life may have changed the course of, his, of history, but it was not 
the only time where he needed to meet with God. He needed to regularly go back to the altar. And so my question is, if Abram needed to be reminded of the promises of God in his life, how much more do we? The beauty of this practice is that it's embodied. Abram didn't just meet with God and rush to the next thing. He met with God, he stopped, and he took the time to build an altar. He had to go and collect stones, and as he's doing so, he's reflecting on the promise that God has made and remembering that every time he sees this construction, he is going to think of the promise of God. He lingers in God's presence, and he builds an altar, and then he turns to worship. So as we close and begin to turn our own hearts towards worship and worship team, you can come forward and start playing quietly. I just want to bring us back to these two questions that we started with. We've looked at Abram's answers. But now it's time for us to ask these questions of ourselves, to to answer them for ourselves. So starting in the reverse order, how do we steward the vision or the calling that the Lord has placed on our lives? What would it look like for us to take on an embodied practice of remembrance? Maybe for you, the answer is journaling, um, and you just need to write down what God has spoken to you and reflect on it regularly. Maybe some of you are artistic and you could draw or paint. Do something that, that you can create, something that carries with it the promise of God, the, the story that he is writing in your life, and take time this week to practice remembrance, to slow down and just be with God and reflect on what he is doing. Even if it's just a sticky note put on your bathroom mirror so it's the last thing you see at night and the first thing you see in the morning, we need to take steps physically that train ourselves spiritually. And then turn to worship. Dedicate yourself again and again to God and celebrate that we serve the faithful God of the promise. And finally, how do we live with the dreams for our lives surrendered to God? We take the next step of obedience. There's three different groups of people in the room tonight that I want to address. For some of you, all of this talk about calling is making you a little bit uneasy, if we're honest. Maybe the thought of God having a vision for your life has stressed you out a bit and you're just feeling unguided. Maybe for most of your life, you've even been living out somebody else's dream for your life. Family member, someone else in your life. And you've never stopped for a moment to ask, what is the Lord inviting you into? What is his vision and dream for your life? I believe tonight, Jesus' invitation for you Maybe to just let the noise around you die down. Just sit quietly and ask the Lord, what is his vision for your life? Our culture has no problem telling you how to live. UVA will have no problem telling you how to make your name great while you're here. But will you stop for just a moment and to let God speak and have a word to say to you about what his vision for your life is? So if that's you tonight, I believe that Jesus' invitation for you is a step into significance. To recognize that he is inviting you to be a part of this gloriously common call and to enter into a life of eternal significance.
but for others of you, ambition is not the problem. UVA is filled with ambition. And for, for some of you, that ambition has maybe gripped your heart so much that it has become more about making your own name great than about trusting God to give you a life of eternal significance. And I believe that for, for you, the step is probably towards sacrifice. recognizing that on the other side of great sacrifice is a life of eternal significance and that is a deal worth making God is inviting you into something beautiful but is there a life, an area in your life, your major your, your own career aspirations maybe some way that you spend your time or even something in your family dynamic that needs to be surrendered to the Lord tonight I would just encourage you to ask the Lord what he's inviting you to lay down at the altar. To take that step of sacrifice, recognizing the life of eternal significance on the other side. And finally, I want to speak to maybe what most of us in the room are feeling. Maybe you're hearing all this and and thinking, you know, I, I really, I think I'm surrendered. I want to hear from God. I, I, I'm asking, and you know, if I heard from God like Abram, I, man, I'd be in. I'm asking, and I'm listening, and I'm just like, there's nothing. And for you, I just want to say that silence can often be a real grace from God in moments like this. A simple reminder to just keep your feet planted where they are, to keep at the gloriously common calling that God has placed on your life, to make disciples, to lead the people in your circles, to come to know Jesus while you're here at UVA. And obviously keep asking and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but don't let silence be a discouragement. God still has something for you, even if you don't hear the audible voice or the encounter moment tonight. So keep your feet firmly planted and take a step into satisfaction, recognizing that God has something beautiful for you in this season. So as we enter into worship, I just want us each to reflect quietly on what the Lord's invitation for you tonight is. They're going to play quietly for for a few minutes. And I just want you to take time to really ask the Lord what he is inviting you into. If you need to sit at your seat and just journal, do it. If you need to turn around and kneel where you're at, do that. If you need somebody to pray with, we have staff that would love to pray with you and they'll be in the back or on the sides. But if you need to lay something down, I would just like to encourage you to come to the altar, to take that embodied step towards surrender and just lay something down if that's what Jesus is inviting you to do tonight. So take a few minutes, commune with the Lord, and um, then as you're ready, enter into worship as the band leads us.
God, we thank you that you are the one who holds it all together. That from Abraham, you have been working to redeem and restore all that is broken in our world. And God, we thank you that you use us along in this journey. You take us from our brokenness to be agents of redemption in your world. You invite all of us into this gloriously common calling to make disciples who make disciples and bless all nations. And so, Lord, uh, we are just grateful to be here. We are grateful to walk with you. Father, I pray over anyone who for the first time tonight is coming to a place of realizing that you are inviting them into a life of eternal significance and they're questioning whether or not they're worthy of it. Lord, I pray that you would reveal the dreams and visions that you have for their life tonight. Lord, I pray for anyone who is needing to lay something down at the altar. God, I pray that you would ease that grip from their hands. Lord, I pray that you would help them to recognize the beauty of the life of eternal significance that is waiting for them on the other side. And Lord, I pray that for anyone who is who's desperately waiting for a word from you, that you would be their contentment, that you would help them to find satisfaction in this season, that they would just keep their feet firmly planted where they are and recognize the beauty that you're inviting them into in this current season. And Lord, for all of us, help us to walk faithfully with you. Help us to steward the calling that you have placed on our lives, to carry it well and to make your name great wherever we go. For the benediction, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you and give you peace as you take the next step of obedience following him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's have a great week following Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.